1: Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. And I'm really looking forward to speaking with Bob Pulver. Bob is in charge of an amazing business called Cognitive Path, which is, in my mind, taking over the world by storm in terms of AI for HR. And it's just such a rapidly moving area. And so Bob's the guru I've turned to for my AI for HR-related questions and bias and HR and all that sort of stuff. So we're going to find out how that works and what Cognitive Path does. But firstly, Bob, thank you very much for joining me today.
2: Thanks for having me, Ben.
1: And if you're listening to this on the go and you plan to, at some point, use Cognitive Path and ask Bob about his services, whatever you do, do not call him during tennis season because he just won't answer the phone. Is that right, Bob?
2: That is true. Between my daughter's tennis matches and the US Open, uh, it's definitely a fun activity. (laughs) So that's one of my hobbies, I suppose.
1: Very good. Yeah. So yeah, let's turn to Cognitive Path. I talked briefly about AI for HR and bias and stuff like that. We'll dive into it in more detail in a moment, but firstly, what does Cognitive Path do?
2: So Cognitive Path is my own advisory firm that I started a couple of years ago after a pretty long career in large enterprise companies. And it's really about how do we sort of modernize our processes that will help sort of enhance human potential. So how do we augment the work that we're doing with automated workflows, intelligent assistance, those types of things. But we know that this technology is advancing really fast and it's overwhelming for an in-house you know, team to try to you know, analyze the market, understand what solutions truly solve the problems that they have. And certainly when it comes to AI specifically, but really goes back all the way to you know, data practices and data maturity, but how do you use data and technology in a responsible and ethical way? And so that has never been more important with the advent of generative AI, as I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit, but there's new legislation cropping up all over the globe that tries to essentially put some parameters around this. So really cognitive path is about how do we embrace this technology, but do it in a responsible and thoughtful way, how do we sort of, you know, upskill everyone about what that really means and how they can embrace these tools in their daily work? So Cognitive Path is both an advisory practice as well as an auditor for legislation around, you know, basically I'll categorize it as sort of anti-bias legislation. So we see that cropping up and we might get into that a little bit, but really whether someone needs, because of legislation, they need an audit done around their how their AI and their algorithms are looking and making decisions that affect you know human beings or organizations need advice about how to select the right technologies for their talent acquisition or talent management sort of tech stack that aligns to their you know business challenges and their strategic goals
1: yeah absolutely and I know you're just outside of New York City right but New York has got recent legislation in this area for anti-bias for HR but it's coming everywhere. That's my perspective as an Aussie living in Europe, but I see it coming right. everywhere. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think so. New York City was one of the first jurisdictions to put out, you know, basically put into effect anti-bias legislation, sort of piggybacks on the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission or EEOC legislation, and then longstanding Legislation around, you know, disability protections and things like that. Although many people think New York City did not go far enough because it only looks at adverse impact for gender and race, but other legislation in other places looks at other things. Maybe they want to put legislation around facial recognition that could impact video interviews. You know, in the EU, they are really building things on top of GDPR, going back to data privacy and human rights and things like that. The UK just this week is holding a sort of a summit. The prime minister is hosting with a lot of technology leaders to really understand the impacts. And so there's a lot of people very, you know, concerned for good reason about what might be coming and the enforceability of some of those legislations, as well as their readiness to be compliant with some of that legislation. Not everyone has the sort of the infrastructure, the data maturity, or even the right people and skills to make sure that you know they're doing things that are gonna be consistent with. The law so right now it's very much a patchwork but the eu ai act which is supposed to go into effect i believe at the beginning of 2024 is going to have a significant impact on the european union and then you know the uk i think is following suit and then in the u.s there's a lot of it's just a patchwork of legislation in anticipation of you know the u.s federal government putting something in place but that's not there yet i know in washington dc they're having a lot of discussions and subcommittees and things like that, but nothing is formally in place yet at a federal level in the US. So that's part of what makes this so concerning to especially global companies operating in all these jurisdictions. How do I keep tabs on all of this? And yeah. how do I know what's compliant, where and where my risk is?
1: Yeah. As you were saying that, I just saw a massive spreadsheet pop up in front of my mind's eye of back when I was doing HR with a Global company and Sarbanes Oxley came into effect. And suddenly I'm trying to see, are we signing off pay slips in seven different countries and thinking you know, it's just a nightmare? So I think it's the next phase. Yeah, global company needs to be aware of this because it's coming everywhere. And also I know that the UK Prime Minister, as you said, or the British Prime Minister is having meetings this week. And I appreciate you canceling those to be on the a better HR business podcast. Great. So yeah, yes. I appreciate that. I
2: think um, that invite got lost in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. So people listening to this probably think, well, okay, so how does Cognitive Path help? So firstly, what kind of businesses does Cognitive Path help? And then what do you do? How do you actually help them?
2: Yeah, I would say looking at the New York City legislation and then at least drafts of some of the others, I think the first is education. So I would say that if there's a third leg to the stool of the kinds of services that I would offer. Some of it is really around, you know, building awareness and sort of evangelizing the importance of responsible and ethical AI. And if you follow those core practices, you're going to be in a much better position should new legislation crop up. So part of it is just going out and speaking to organizations, communities, things like that, but I'm also talking to solution providers so the people building AI into their, you know, whether it's a talent acquisition solution or a talent management solution, are you thinking about the ethics and the sort of provenance of the data, the veracity of the data? Are you thinking about all these things by design when you build these products? So certainly I can go in and help some of the, the solution providers building this and making sure they're doing that. And it's only going to help them. I mean, I'm not coming in to police it. It's more about this is your clients and your prospects expectation. And so even as an employer brand, I think people are gonna to wanna to work for an organization that does think about responsible use of data and AI. So I can help you know those, those solution providers make sure that they're putting the right sort of mechanisms and policies in place so that everyone in the organization understands the importance of that. But perhaps more importantly, at least for New York City, it's the users of this technology who are actually on the hook if the technology is found to be creating an adverse impact for candidates and so i think the prevalence of you know applicant tracking systems and and other tools would qualify as what we call automated employment decision tools or aedts those are the targets of the new york city audits because they are essentially acting as a filter an automated filter for certain candidates. So imagine you have, you know, a thousand candidates for a job and you have one recruiter trying to review all those resumes. A recruiter most likely is going to let the tool sort of tell them or stack rank those applications in such a way that they can just basically say, well, you know, we've got to move things along. I'm only going to have time to look at the top 40 or 50 candidates. So you've basically let the machine, you know, some type of automation or algorithm make a decision for you that says these are the top ones. Well, what happens to everybody else? The job market is crazy right now. You are basically, you know, excluding potentially viable, strong candidates for whatever reason, without realizing it, or just sort of subconsciously saying, I'm going to trust the machine like people trust a calculator, right? And say, these are my top candidates but what happens to candidate you know 51 52 and beyond so I think we're in a we're in a tough sort of cycle here where people need to rely on technology to get their work done and yet we need to be very careful about the decisions and the decision support that we're allowing the technology to provide so it's a you've got to find that
1: balance it reminds me a few years ago of I think it was Amazon, but they had some sort of machine learning basis tool or something where they were screening resumes. But it got to the point where they were not accepting female applicants or there was a massive percentage deficit or something like that. But it was traced back to a couple of bad candidates came through a particular women's college. And so the machine learning then just took over and went, well, those last three candidates were no good. So from now on, in terms of my scoring system I'm not going to you know allocate any points to people from that college but because I don't know that the campus drive was focused on that area it just meant that everyone was getting canned straight from that particular college and that it fed through into gender balances and so garbage in garbage out as you say with the calculator thing you know whatever you enter in is going to affect the final calculation so
2: yeah Yeah, I think that goes back to how was the data that you know fed the model where did that come from and as we all know I mean Most of these tools are trained on, you know, if it's trained on real data, there's often bias in that data. So if you look at historical data and just look at the patterns of, you know, who held those roles before and how did they perform and all of that, you run the risk of just sort of perpetuating whatever human bias had existed before. So that's why I would advocate for thinking about this from the beginning. And if I were to come in and do an audit, you know, we would pick those things up right we would say we're going to interrogate the data and make sure that the data is you know as accurate as we can determine we're going to understand and look for adverse impact across the data across all the inputs and weights that went into the algorithm that uses that data and then ultimately what were the outcomes or what was the impact so what was the ultimate sort of you know hiring decision but if you think about the phases of a hiring funnel Each of those phases, as you narrow the funnel, decisions are made that affect that talent, those human beings, right? And so you've got to look at not just who ultimately got hired and was there, you know, the appropriate level of diversity, what have you. It's really about even going back to who even got a, you know, recruiter phone screen and then who got a in-person interview and who got final interview or whatever. Like, so each of those actually needs to be looked at because there might be different tools that, are in place. So the ATS, if it's stack ranking candidates, that's just who you might do a phone screen for or or an interview. But then you might have some type of interview intelligence tool that's also giving some kind of score. You may have an assessment that comes up with a numeric score. So you've got to really look at the data and, you know, sort of algorithmic inputs for each of those tools. I mean, you might have a pretty modern tech stack, right? And, That's great for certain things, but it also may actually impose an elevated level of risk because you've got a compounded risk by using three tools that are essentially helping you in your decision making in the same funnel. So, this could get pretty complicated for an organization that has a pretty modern tech stack with some of this advanced technology in it. And for a large enterprise, I mean, you may have different tools in different talent acquisition teams, maybe using different tools, right? Some people may be using technical assessments to hire software developers and others using maybe focuses more on behavioral assessments that come up with a score and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. non for non-technical talent. I mean, it starts the web into a lot of different areas, but that just means that all the more reason to at least have somebody come in. So this is one of the advantages, I guess, of being able to advise clients as well Mm as audit clients. I can't do those two things for the same client. That like goes back to your example before about Sarbanes-Oxley. I mean, I, I need to separate separation. those two things. But yeah, I mean, you could come in even before an audit and, you know, use the same technology to sort of go in and assess adverse impact just to see how you would fare, you know, we're an auditor to show up on your door the next day. We don't do that, by the way. It's all <laughs> pre-scheduled. We don't surprise anybody. Ah. But yeah, I mean, you could basically get sort of gauge your posture for you know sort of audit readiness by looking at it in advance and i've already had several companies come to me with that they may not even be concerned about new york city audit for you know audit rules for example it might just be they want to look for just you know adverse impact more generally in case those laws expand or in case they expand not necessarily in their scope in terms of jurisdiction but maybe it's they expand their scope in terms of protected categories in the case of new york city maybe they add something around you know disabilities or even age age is a protected category by law by longstanding law but from an ai standpoint right now that's not part of the new york city audit but i would say it's still something people want to be concerned about there was a legal settlement in new york city not that long ago related to age discrimination that was settled out of court but still you know somebody wrote a rule apparently that said let's look for people within a certain age you know bracket or under a certain age threshold and that's a big no-no and it didn't take ai to know that i think somebody mistakenly associated that with the new york city audit but new york city audit doesn't cover ageism right now
1: i don't think they use that for the supreme court judges do they that sort of basis. (laughs) So yeah, that's an amazing range of services and so on. So to clarify then, or to summarize, you've got sort of two main focus areas. You help the employers who are using some technology anywhere across the employee lifecycle from hiring to learning development, performance management, all that kind of stuff, and that is around a couple of things. One is, are we valid doing things properly we're not going to get in trouble should we assess where we stand if there's legislation that we could catch us then we need to be ready for that and there'll be more and more legislation coming so plus we don't want to have data building up over time so that becomes messy to untangle later on so that's the employer side and of course i forgot to say that the employer branding piece that matches that yes you could be doing this just to match legislative requirements and not get in trouble for stuff but that's just a baseline really you want to look good for hiring great people. And we care about having a diverse, inclusive, safe workplace in all senses of the word. And so that's part of that branding. And then also on the other side, you're helping the actual HR tech vendors create products and product suites and elements that they might want to introduce because probably most businesses are adding AI elements as time goes by. And so you're helping them make sure that remains compliant and done in a proper fashion. And then finally around that you meet those needs, those service needs through what three pillars or three legs of the stool, which is the education piece, and then there's audit and then there's advisory. Is that a fair summary? That is very good summary. Yes. I'm gonna work at Cognitive Um, Path. What are you doing to get the word out there about cognitive path?
2: You know, building awareness, I think, is critical. I mean, we occasionally see some headlines and I've seen even if I wasn't able to attend some of the industry conferences, I certainly paid attention to who was speaking and the agenda to see, are others, you know, doing a fair job, you know, raising awareness and making sure people understand both the benefits and the risks of using this technology. So I've been sort of making the rounds to different podcasts like this and, you know, community calls and on a town intelligence community called the town Intelligence Collective Toby Kulshaw from Amazon runs really really bright people and i think they're going to have a role to play in terms of the data that's needed to sort of interrogate and you know what does it all mean and what insights can we derive from that data and help with audit readiness as well as just ongoing participation in internal committees like risk and ethics committees mm-hmm. uh, that make sure everyone's doing the right things so yeah i was on uh, hungley's recruiting brain food last week and i have got a couple other sort of community. Leaders and, you know, just influential people who can help me get into the right places and really elevate the conversation and make sure people realize that this is not something, you know, you can't stick your head in the sand. You've got to really think about how this might affect me because there will be, you know, financial penalties if you don't comply and this does apply to you. But I think to your point, I mean, there's a reputational risk that I think is important to consider and that affects two main parties. Like you said, first is all else being equal. If I've got two, you know, job offers or I'm trying to shortlist the companies that I want to go work for, then that might be one of the things that I look for, not just environmental and social responsibility, but data and ethical use of some of this advanced technology, because it seems like it's unavoidable these days. But then the other sort of reputational issue is, you know, if you've got Competing solutions and everyone says they've got AI, you know, baked in and generative AI and copilots and all this stuff. I mean, all of it starts to blend together. So from a reputational standpoint, it's not just the employer brand, it's your clients and prospects. They're gonna be looking, you know, all us being equal. If everyone's got similar, you know, functionality using similar generative AI tools, similar copilots and what have you, you know, this could be a differentiator in terms of. Well, first of all, I would say if you're a buyer in the space, these are the types of things that you should add to your RFP or your RFI, like ask them tough questions about, you know, where they got the data, how it was tested and trained, and what are your sort of data hygiene, you know, policies that make sure that as your algorithm makes its own adjustments through reinforcement learning or however it gets better over time, then you've got to ask those questions and that could be important. The other is, you know, if you're a vendor that can, you haven't done so already. If you can have your own independent audit, I think that's a huge, you know, selling point. If you go on their website and it says, "Look, you can trust us. Don't just take our word. An independent party has come in and audited for potential adverse, you know, impact, yeah. bias, etc." So, so I think the key is really to be proactive and get ahead of this. And so that's certainly, you know, what I evangelize in the work that I do. And I think it's only going to get more complicated but it's also never been more important because you know ai is just permeating every aspect of our lives professionally and personally so
1: definitely so very good well thank you for sharing you know some of the insights and the challenges facing people in the world of ai for hr and so on and then how you're helping employers and hr vendors solve some of those problems and plan for the future if people want to work with you maybe partner up with you to refer business or team up in some sort of way, or just potentially use your services, what should they do next?
2: Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way, Bob Pulver on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only one, but yeah, LinkedIn slash in slash Bob Pulver, or you can go to my website, cognitivepath.io, and you can connect with me, send me a message through the website as well. So yeah, this was great.
1: appreciate it, Ben. Very good. Thank you very much. I wish you all the best for you and for Cognitive Path. Thanks, Bob.